The human female orgasm has attracted great interest from many evolutionary behavioral scientists. Several hypotheses propose that female orgasm is an adaptation. First, human female orgasm has been claimed to create and maintain the pair bond between male and female by promoting female intimacy through sexual pleasure. Second, a number of evolutionists have suggested that female orgasm functions in selective bonding with males by promoting affiliation primarily with males who are willing to invest time or material resources in the female. Third, female orgasm has been said to motivate a female to pursue multiple mates to prevent male infanticide of the female's offspring and or to gain material benefits from multiple mates. Fourth, it has been proposed that human female orgasm functions to induce fatigue, sleep, in a prone position and thereby passively acts to retain sperm. Perhaps the leading functional hypothesis is that human female orgasm is a female choice adaptation designed to manipulate sperm competition and promote conception with males of high quality. Female orgasm as a selective response thus may have evolved as a means by which females could favor sperm of an extra pair male over that of an in-pair male, or in rare instances, vice versa. A woman who perceives her mate to be of low genetic quality may employ a strategy of garnering resources from her primary mate, but having extra pair sex with a male who is of higher genetic quality. To put this in layman's terms, as they'd say, with a male who is better looking and sexier. Women don't cheat with schlubs. Furthermore, these circumstances could have selected female design favoring retention of sperm from men who possess phenotypic markers of good genes. In particular, women in multiple mating situations appear more likely to orgasm during copulation with extra pair partners than with in pair partners. To put this another way, women who cheat or engage in polyamorous situations such as swinging, swapping, or the lifestyle are more likely to have orgasms with the men they are cheating with or swinging with or swapping with than with their partners, i.e. their husbands or boyfriends. But we all know that deep down. Every man with a girlfriend or wife knows that deep down. And every woman in a relationship knows that. This is what motivates women to have sex outside of the relationships they are in. They do it to have orgasms. And on how incredible the female orgasm can be, we will have lots more to say later. Just as an aside on the subject of research into orgasms, in the context of a study conducted at the University of New Mexico, one woman reported that she never orgasmed but faked 100% of the time while her partner reported that she orgasmed 100% of the time and never faked. Only a single feature significantly predicted faked orgasm, female non-exclusivity. Women who tend to act in less exclusive ways with their mates, e.g. flirted with other men or neglected their partners at social gatherings, tended to fake orgasms more than other women. Hmm, <laughs> interesting. 
A marker of male mating advantage in a variety of species may be fluctuating asymmetry, which is asymmetry of the two sides of bilateral characteristics. For example, wings, fins, hands, feet, or ears, for which the sign difference between the two sides have a population mean of zero and are normally distributed. Because the two sides of such characters, ears for example, are not controlled by different genes, it is thought that fluctuating asymmetry represents imprecise expression of underlying developmental design because of developmental perturbations, developmental instability. In a range of species, individuals fluctuating asymmetry negatively predicts their fecundity, growth rate, and survival. For example, in a species of bird, individuals with wings of an unequal size are less likely to survive, so girl birds of that species are less likely to mate with them. Fluctuating asymmetry may be a marker of male mating success in humans as well. Men who possess low fluctuating asymmetry, who have left and right ears, hands and feet of the same size, tend to be judged more attractive than other men. Moreover, they tend to have had relatively many sexual partners, to have had more extra-parasexual relations, and to have had sex with women after shorter courtship, i.e. period of dating. In other words, women are more likely to jump into the sack quickly with more symmetrical guys, to those guys who have low fluctuating asymmetry. Who knew? If low fluctuating asymmetry is a marker of male quality, independent of any investment he might provide, and human female orgasm is a conditional response that has been designed to favor males who possess markers of quality, equal size ears, for example, then women should orgasm during copulation with men who possess low fluctuating asymmetry more often than with men who do not. So, is this, in fact, the deal? <laughs> yes, what? It is. Women with men of relatively low fluctuating asymmetry did not simply have more reported orgasms in general than other women. The reports indicate that these women are only more orgasmic during copulation itself, which is to say, during penile vaginal penetration sex, common or garden variety sex, whether in the missionary position or otherwise. From this we may deduce that women with these low fluctuating asymmetry men were not more orgasmic when men went down on them or stimulated their clitorides in other ways. In these researchers' sample, the increased reported copulatory orgasmic response of women with men of relatively low fluctuating asymmetry was greater for orgasms roughly characterized as high sperm retention orgasms. Few other male features significantly predicted the occurrence of reported female orgasm. These research results provide some evidence that men's weight and physical attractiveness predict copulatory female orgasm frequency independent of male body symmetry. Translation. Yeah, this low fluctuating asymmetry stuff holds water, but physical attractiveness is maybe even more important? Who knew? 
Women are more likely to come with hunky, sexy guys than they are with slubs, our code word for today for unattractive men. Once again, who knew? A woman knows if she hops into the sack with an unattractive guy, she is less likely to have an orgasm. So why do it? You'll be better off getting some more sleep or cuddling up with your cat listening to another episode of Explore Ecstatic Sensuality. However, back to this low, fluctuating asymmetry jazz. No evidence suggests that these sorts of men invest more in their relationships than do others, and in fact, in certain ways, they invest less. In particular, they appear to sexualize, that is to say flirt with, women other than their partner more than do other men, and therefore may engage in greater efforts to mate outside the primary relationship. Translation. Hey girls, if you get into a relationship with a man who has equal-sized ears, you will come more. However, he is more likely to cheat. Is it worth it? In our opinion, yeah. Another mantra. Coming is everything. The hypothesis that female orgasm promotes preferential bonding with males who are capable or willing to invest predicts that male love slash investment will correlate with women's orgasm frequency. The results of this University of New Mexico study do not support this prediction. Orgasm frequency in women was unrelated to the three measures of relationship investment by men, namely love, men's socioeconomic status or family of origin, and men's perceived future earnings. So, ladies, that chap who supports you in your activities or your career and loves you to the stars and is reliable and committed to you looks good on paper. But if you choose him, you'll be giving up a good sex life. One authority had proposed that female orgasm increases paternity reliability for the male mate by signaling the female's sexual satisfaction with that mate. The New Mexico researchers' results support this hypothesis in that they imply that males may have gained reproductively in human evolutionary history by distinguishing female orgasm from mere female arousal because orgasm is associated with sperm retention and thus presumably with increased probability of paternity. So, um, if you have, speaking to you ladies out there, if you have this great orgasmic sex with one of these low asymmetry guys, make certain that he wears a condom or that you put in your diaphragm. That is to say, unless you want a child by him. Other research specifically tested the following hypotheses. Hypothesis 1. That women who perceive their partners to be more, versus less, attractive will be more likely to report orgasm with their partner at last copulation, that is to say, most recent copulation. Hypothesis 2 that women mated to men or in relationships with men, that they perceive other women assess as more versus less attractive, will be more likely to report orgasm at last copulation. Hypothesis 3, that women's perception of other women's assessment of their partner's attractiveness mediates the relationship between women's assessment of their partner's attractiveness and orgasm at last copulation. What? 
Thus, when partner's attractiveness and perception of other women's assessments of partner attractiveness are both included in the predictive model, the relationship between partner's attractiveness and female copulatory orgasm is eliminated. To sum up, what this research tells us is that women who choose men as boyfriends or husbands whom other women find attractive are more likely to have orgasms. Or to put it another way, if Annabelle finds a somewhat quirky or individual-looking Marshall to be attractive, but other women do not, and if Annabelle enters into a relationship with Marshall, she is less likely to have orgasms than if she had chosen Craig, who other women think is attractive. It's not the individual woman's taste that counts. It's the taste of other women. Who knew? But of course, this is something men on the dating scene have known all along. Women at any particular time always find the same look in men sexy. For one generation, it's, I don't know, Paul Newman or Burt Lancaster. And for today, it's Paul Rudd? Hey, I had to Google it. Robert Pattinson? Hell, if I'm not in need of a serious makeover. Much research has shown that communication is an important part of sexual and relationship satisfaction in romantic relationships. Low-quality communication is associated with decreased sexual and relational satisfaction, and communication helps explain why sexual and relationship satisfaction change together over time. In other words, communication appears to be an important predictor of changes in both forms of satisfaction and may affect sexual and relationship satisfaction in similar ways. Psychologists James Halpern and Mark Sherman went so far as to say that after play, both verbal and other stuff chicks and dudes do after sex, is more closely linked to sexual satisfaction than any other element of sexual encounters, including foreplay, orgasm, and sex itself. They further point out that what happens immediately after sexual activity likely has effects not only on sexual satisfaction, but also on relational satisfaction. Other researchers have put forth the following two hypotheses. Hypothesis 1. Positive relational disclosures will predict relationship satisfaction such that the more positive relational disclosures individuals engage in specifically after sex, whether coital penetration sex or otherwise, the greater their relationship satisfaction will be. These researchers' findings. Curiously, positive relational disclosures after sex were not associated with relationship satisfaction. Might as well smoke a cigarette after sex, or some weed, or listen to the Explore Ecstatic Sensuality podcast. A sure turn-on every time. Hypothesis 2. Orgasm is indirectly associated with relationship satisfaction through risk-benefit analysis and positive relational disclosure. This hypothesis was supported by the data. Who knew? We've got lots of research that supports hypo-2. What types of sexual activity are most strongly correlated with relationship satisfaction in women? 
A growing empirical literature demonstrates that the only sexual behavior consistently associated with indices of better physiological and psychological function is the one sexual behavior relevant to potential gene propagation. And guess which one that is? In a recent study, 30 Portuguese women reported on their frequency of different sexual behaviors and corresponding orgasm rates and also completed the Perceived Relationship Quality Components Inventory. As hypothesized, frequency of penile vaginal intercourse correlated positively with PRQC dimensions, which are satisfaction, intimacy, trust, passion, love, and global relationship quality. Non-coital sexual behaviors with the partner were uncorrelated with the PRQC dimensions, which is to say, with relationship quality components. I guess all my listeners know what those sexual behaviors are. Which is curious. We've talked about oral sex in a number of episodes and have reported on some studies that say cunnilingus is what women want the most. However, as far as relationship satisfaction is concerned, for women having their boyfriend or husband go down on them is not the ticket, even if it is more likely to make them come. Just for the record, masturbation frequency was inversely associated with love. In other words, women who masturbate have less love in their relationship. Penile vaginal orgasmic frequency correlated positively with all PRQC dimensions satisfaction, intimacy, passion, love, and global relationship quality. Penile vaginal intercourse consistently was inversely associated with masturbation frequency, which makes sense. I'm surprised they even needed to research this. Other research, this time done in the Czech Republic, had similar results, namely... Penile vaginal intercourse frequency and vaginal orgasm consistency are associated with indices of greater intimate relationship adjustment, satisfaction, and compatibility of both partners. Sexual compatibility was independently predicted by higher frequency of penile vaginal intercourse and greater vaginal orgasm consistency. Women's sexual satisfaction score was significantly predicted by greater vaginal orgasm consistency and frequency of partner genital stimulation. Men's satisfaction score was significantly predicted by greater intercourse frequency and any vaginal orgasm of their female partners. Concordance of partner vaginal orgasm consistency estimates was associated with greater dyadic adjustment a fancy term that essentially means relationship satisfaction. So here is a new mantra for the Explore Ecstatic Sensuality podcast. Couples who come together love together. Now here is a dollop, you might say, of additional research which summarizes and then extends what we have reported so far in this episode. Please do bear with us and excuse the technicalities. Stimulation of the clitoris, distal vagina, and proximal vagina-slash-cervix is conveyed through different peripheral nerves. Deep vaginocervical stimulation activates the vagus alone, among others, and activate different regions of the somatosensory cortex of the brain. A French woman once told me, You don't fuck with your brain. 
Alors, incroyable. Well, she was wrong about lots of things. The orgasms induced by clitoral stimulation and by penile vaginal intercourse differ in important ways, including indices of psychological and physical health and sexual function and relationship satisfaction being associated specifically with penile vaginal intercourse, that is to say, with fucking. Notably, greater likelihood of orgasm from penile vaginal intercourse, or more specifically, vaginal orgasm elicited solely by penile vaginal stimulation without stimulation or masturbation of the clitoris, measured in research studies either dichotomously as ever having a vaginal orgasm or dimensionally as vaginal orgasm consistency, the percentage of penile vaginal orgasm occasions resulting in vaginal orgasms is associated with physiological and self-perceived sexual functioning within women. (gasps) I need to take a deep breath after that one. What does this mean? When women have orgasms as a result of fucking, they feel better, both physically in general and about their own sexiness. They feel that they are good sexually, or to use the usual expression, they feel that they are, quote, good in bed, unquote. And let's face it, how many people, women or men, have doubts about their sexuality? So here's a clinically proven way that women can feel good about their sexiness. And it's fun. Furthermore, vaginal orgasm consistency, the consistency with which women have orgasms during sex, is associated, one, with mental attention to vaginal sensations during intercourse and preference for longer penises. And two, with clitoral, distal, vaginal, and deep vaginal-slash-cervical stimulation projecting via different peripheral nerves to different brain regions. So, pay attention to your vaginal sensations while you're fucking, and think about a man with a long penis, even if your lover at the moment is a shorty. And beyond that, fine-tune your sensuality, your nerve sensuality, your brain sensuality, We've talked about this beginning with our earliest episodes, and now here is some scientific proof of what we've been telling you all along. Don't be conceptual. Don't say to yourself, I'm being fucked, or I hope I come this time. Instead, be aware of everything that is going on, the regions of your brain that respond to different things. Pain, pleasure, taste, smell, memory formation, tenderness are all receiving data from your genital regions broadly defined. Be aware that this is happening. There are so many vibrations in your brain playing off against one another, stimulating one another. The ecstatic sensuality of being fucked should be in the brain as well as in the body. To put it more technically, Current sensitivity of deep vaginal and cervical regions is associated with vaginal orgasm consistency, which might be due to some combination of different neurophysiological projections of the deep regions and their greater responsiveness to penile stimulation. Now here is something really interesting that just probably should be included in sex education. Stimulating the vagina during early life masturbation might indicate individual readiness for developing greater vaginal responsiveness 
leading to adult greater vaginal orgasm consistency. That is, the consistency with which a woman will have vaginal orgasms during sex. I am going to stick my neck out here and suggest that rubbing your clitoris is a quick and easy way to obtain pleasure, but by doing this exclusively, you may be missing out on the prospect of the big O, the vaginal orgasm, writ large. Lately, novel phenomena were defined and coined as expanded orgasm, EO, and expanded sexual response, ESR, in a minority of women. ESR was defined as, quote, being able to attain long-lasting and or prolonged and or multiple and or sustained orgasms and or status orgasmus that lasted longer and were more intense than the classical orgasm patterns defined in the literature, unquote. The duration of EO and ESR varied from woman to woman, lasting starting from a couple of minutes to hours. In the literature, the highest number of orgasms in a woman, recorded by Dr. William Hartman and Marilyn Fithian, was reported to be 134 per hour. Although defined recently, ESR and EO were not new phenomena, but peak experiences of female orgasmic consciousness defined by different cultures centuries ago. While ESR may even induce altered states of consciousness and peak experiences in some women. Some researchers have described female orgasm as neurohormonal reaction of smooth muscle organs and contraction homologous of ejaculatory muscles. Spastic vaginal contractions occurring at high tension levels. Reflexive sensory motor response involving genitopelvic contractions. Reflexive sensory motor responses to sexual stimulation. Release of vasoconcentration and myotonia from sexual stimulation. Altered states of consciousness, this definition being that of Richard and Julian Davidson in their book, The Psychology of Consciousness. Psychic phenomenon, a sensation, cerebral neuronal discharge, elicited by the accumulative effect of certain brain structures of appropriate stimulation originated in the peripheral erogenous zones. This being the definition of Hele Elzate in her article, Vaginal Eroticism, a Replication Studies, in which, incidentally, she denied the existence of the G. Grafenberg spot. Complex experiences of genital changes, changes in skeletal muscle tone slash semi-voluntary movements, cardiovascular slash respiratory changes. Sudden, intense sensation just prior to genital pelvic contractions. This is the definition of Sherry Height in her once famous book, The Height Report. Acme of sexual pleasure with rhythmic convulsions of the body of perennial reproductive organs, cardiovascular and respiratory changes, release of sexual tension. Orgastic potency, capacity to surrender to flow of biological energy, capacity to discharge the damned-up sexual excitation through involuntary pleasurable convulsions of the body. This is the definition of Wilhelm Reich in his book, 
the function of the orgasm, economic problems of biological energy. When we look at the nature of female orgasm, although there are similar patterns to male orgasm, it seems to be very different than male ejaculation depending upon the woman experiencing it. In a classical single female orgasm, there seems to be different patterns contributing to the bodily changes, whole body changes, tachycardia, elevated blood pressure, hyperventilation, sweating, extension of some muscle groups, e.g. legs and feet, muscle tension, sex flush, vasodilation of the cutaneous arterioles, and increased venous blood pounding, and so forth genitopelvic changes, erection of clitoral complex and glans clitoris, enlargement of the G-spot area and urethral sponge, lubrication, involuntary contraction of vagina, uterus, and cervix, voluntary-slash-involuntary contraction of pelvic floor muscles, PC muscles, involuntary contraction of anal sphincter, etc. Psychological changes, relief of tension, Discharge feeling, decrease of anxiety, happiness, euphoria, relaxation, fulfillment, subjective feeling of getting rid of electrical and muscle tension, altered states of consciousness, and so forth. As measured by Masters and Johnson, the contraction duration of genitopelvic area occurs at 0.8 second intervals, Although males have a refractory period after one orgasm or ejaculation to become erect again, it has been well documented that females have the capacity to continue having multiple climaxes if they are stimulated continuously and properly. As described by Masters and Johnson way back when, some women can attain an orgasmic state which may last for 43 seconds, coined by them as status orgasmus. In some women who have developed ESR, multiple orgasms and status orgasmus can vary in duration and a number of minor orgasms they contain in the train of orgasmic pattern. Lately, such prolonged orgasms and the methods how to attain them have been published in many books and articles. Status orgasmus may now be defined as the continuous form of blended orgasms and or clitoral vaginal orgasms that lasts for starting from 1 minute to 10 to 15 minutes or more. During status orgasmus, a continuous orgasmic state is experienced, notwithstanding which relatively few women are believed to achieve this status orgasmus state. Now we have to pause for a second and say that um, I think a lot more women do. They just don't talk about it. They just do it. They don't talk about it. Status orgasmus can be seen in vaginal and clitoral orgasms. However, it is mostly seen as an expanded, extended form of blended orgasms in which both clitoral and vaginal orgasm reflexes are triggered at the same time. Similar orgasmic states and full-body orgasms are also defined in tantric literature. The duration may change from woman to woman. Status orgasmus was first defined by Masses and Johnson as lasting for 43 seconds in a woman in 1966. Today, it is estimated the status orgasmus continues for 1 to 2 minutes, while it may last for 10 to 15 minutes. A prolonged and extended orgasmic state 
which ends by a giant orgasm, big O, that gives a great relief and satisfaction at the end. Clitoral stimulation is the main source of sensory input for triggering a female orgasm. Glans clitoris, which contains nearly 8,000 nerve endings, can trigger an orgasm when stimulated manually by friction, vibration, cunnilingus, or indirect penile thrust stimulation in most women. Well, we've seen that questioned. The extent to which the clitoris is satisfactorily or may be satisfactorily stimulated by penile thrust stimulation. But back to this. Orgasms attained through clitoral stimulation have been reported to be more localized, sharp, bursting, short-lasting, superficial, confined only to the pubic area, while coital vaginal orgasms have been described as more diffuse, whole body, radiating psychologically, more satisfying, lasting longer, having more tendency to turn into multiple orgasms. Dr. Helen O'Connell published the first-ever comprehensive research on the internal aspects of the clitoris, which completely changed the conversations we were able to have about women's ability to feel pleasure. O'Connell's MRI scans determined that the clitoris is not just the glands we can observe externally, but is actually made up of several parts, all of which are comprised of erectile tissue. Erectile tissue means that these areas engorge with blood during arousal. The clitoris is the only organ of the body, either female or male, that is entirely dedicated to pleasure. Just as a really quick divigation, there's also been studies that things like Viagra can have effects on women in roughly the same way. You didn't hear this here. And I uh, invested a long time ago in a penny stock that claimed to do that sort of thing. And it's just had one of those, what do they call it? Uh, reverse splits. It's the kind of thing where all of, your sudden, all of a sudden your stock is radically devalued. So I used to own $100 and now I own $5.34 in this stock. Stay out of the market, boys and girls. All of this should be taken in the context of research done by Heli Alzate, M.D., and Magdalena Viegas, Diplomat in Psychology, at Caldas University, Manizales, Colombia, and published in the leading journal, Annals of Sex Research. The purposes of their study were, A, to further replicate previous findings on vaginal eroticism, using heart rate change as corroborative evidence for the subjective perception of sexual arousal and orgasm, and b. to investigate the correlation between heart rate change and subjective intensity of female orgasm. Heart rate measurements were obtained from EKG tracings. Eleven coitally experienced volunteers were examined by digital stimulation of their vaginal walls. 90.9% of the women had vaginal erotic sensitivity, and 72.7% of them reported reaching orgasm, which was corroborated by statistically significant increases in heart rate relative to baseline levels. A digital stimulation of the clitoris was also conducted on the research participants, and 72.7%, compared to 90.9%, 
of them reach orgasm. The participants experience a total of 26 orgasmic episodes, 17 vaginally and 9 clitorally elicited. This research would seem to fly in the face of the common belief, and the belief of many researchers, that clitoral orgasms are more frequent and easier to achieve. However, let's go on. Extensive survey results on female sexuality among nearly 2,500 women since 1991 have demonstrated that clitoral orgasms and vaginal orgasms are definitely two distinct phenomena. Masses and Johnson argue about the possibility of indirect clitoral stimulation during coitus. According to them, the head of the clitoris, inducing a friction to the glands, builds up an indirect clitoral orgasm. Well, we talked about that a moment ago, and here we return to this once again. The literature presents enough data to dispute such a phenomenon. Specifically, the clitoral hood cannot move directly enough to stimulate the glands during coitus. If some deep erectile structures of the clitoris, such as bulbous or cruce, are stimulated as well, this sensory input will not be carried by pedental nerve because most of the deep structures of the clitoral complex are innervated by the pelvic nerve, which may cause another type of clitoris-pelvis orgasm, which is not exactly the same as glands pedental nerve orgasm. Most of the descriptions of each type of orgasm in the literature are very different in terms of their physiological, neuropharmacological, and psychological effects. For instance, orgasms triggered by coitus, which is to say by penile penetrative sex, induce four times more prolactin release in the female brain compared to manual clitoral orgasms, with such prolactin release being proposed to be a measure of satiety, of satisfaction. Interesting. There appear to be other deep vaginal erogenous zones in some sexually hyperactive and responsive women other than the clitoris and the G-spot, as reported recently. Those zones are more prominent in women with ESR and high sexual responsiveness compared to zero ESR women or average women. 99% of ESR women were able to attain vaginal coital orgasms. Those areas are innervated by pelvic nerves and partially by hypogastric nerve, similar to the G-spot, which induces a separate orgasm reflex arch pathway. Thus, a very different physiological orgasmic response builds up. Preliminary studies by means of the electrical and vibration stimulation of deep vaginal erogenous zones seem to trigger orgasm patterns alone without the stimulation of glands clitoris. Here is a brief description of the deep vaginal erogenous zones. G-spot, Grafenberg spot. The localization of the G-spot is at the anterior vaginal wall, 2.5 to 4 centimeters inside, under the mid-urethral length. In one research series, 31.8% of women admitted to being aware of their G-spots. 27.7% were positive that they had experienced G-spot orgasms. 45.5% of these women were ESR women. The G-spot was first described by the Dutch physician Regnier de Graaf 
1672, and then by Ernst Grafenberg in 1950, as an erogenous zone on the interior wall of the vagina that expels urethral ejaculate during an intense orgasm. A spot, a spot at the anterior wall of the vagina, 2 to 3.5 centimeters below anterior fornix, under the bladder. 10.6% of women admitted to being aware of such an erogenous zone. 61.9% were ESR women. O spot. O spot is between the posterior vaginal wall and the rectum, 2 to 4 centimeters below the posterior fornix. 8% of women responded that they have a sensitive area at this part of their genitalia. 75% of them were ESR women. Cervix. The cervix is the column neck of the uterus. 7.5% of women replied that their cervix was sensitive and might have triggered an orgasm. 60% were ESR women. Pelvic floor muscles, PFM, PCM muscles. PFM are the muscle network between cubic and coccyx. 7.1% reported that activation of PSM was effective for the development of an orgasm. 50% of them were ESR women. Characteristics of ESR extended sexual response include 1. ESR women experienced vaginal, clitoral, and blended orgasms. 2. ESR women experienced multiple orgasms in most of their sexual activities. 3. Women were able to attain long-lasting and or prolonged and or multiple and or sustained orgasms and or status orgasmus that lasted longer than the classical single orgasm and or multiple orgasm patterns defined in the literature. 4. ESR women claim to have strong pelvic floor muscles compared to non-ESR women. Make a note of that. 5. The libido of ESR women was very high compared to non-ESR women. 6. ESR women described a phenomenon called G-spot orgasms. 7. ESR women described sensitive erogenous zones in their genitalia other than the clitoris. 8. ESR women masturbated more frequently compared to non-ESR women. Make a note of that, too in light of the research that we talked about earlier in this episode. 9. ESR women had erotic fantasies more frequently than the non-ESR women. And here, let's just take a moment to plug our earlier episode on fantasies. It's a good one, trust me. 10. ESR women admitted to having a form of altered states of consciousness during some of their prolonged orgasms and or status orgasmus. If there are, as research has shown, six orgasmic pathways to trigger an orgasm, then female orgasm can be triggered in 63 ways. Among them, 57 would be blended or ESR orgasms. This theory may explain why female orgasms are so diverse and why it is very difficult to understand and explain the patterns of female orgasms. If I may be permitted a brief aside, this reminds me of something I was ruminating about in my recent episode on ancient tantric sex rites. Ancient tantric scholar Shahi Dula observes, in accordance with the mystical language of the Dohakosas, 
we may explain Mythuna, orgasm, as the union of lotus, Padma, and thunder, Vajra, as realization of the state of emptiness, Vajra equals Sunya, in the plexus of the cerebral nerves, Padma. We may understand girl as emptiness, but can one not turn that around and say that if woman is emptiness, she, unlike man, is every possibility, contains every possibility, and therefore is infinite? Woman, absolutely unlike man, is capable of experiencing infinite sexual pleasure, an infinite number of types of orgasms. When we speak of emptiness, the word which comes immediately to mind is the oft-used philosophical term, the void. For French philosopher Alain Badiou, who was influenced by Jacques Lacan, reality is grounded on a void of inconsistent multiplicity, which is at once void and excess. This would not be Badiou's view, nor Lacan's, certainly. However, one might suggest that woman is such a void of inconsistent multiplicity, which is both void and excess, a divine excess, an infinite excess, a cosmic excess. In expanded orgasms, or ESR orgasms, more pleasure input is carried through many loci and many pathway systems such that at least two or more orgasm reflex pathways are activated at the same time, while many other loci and pathways carry lots of supplementary information into the brain, such that orgasmic response is stronger, more intense, prolonged, and more pleasurable, lasting for from a couple of minutes to tens of minutes or even hours. This is just like the opening of the doors of perception, namely opening the doors of orgasmic perception and orgasmic consciousness. In ESR orgasms, the intensity, duration, and pleasure increases by time and by the course of the orgasmic train, as described by many women. For example, the fifteenth orgasm is much more intense and prolonged than the fifth orgasm once the orgasmic train commences and continues. Many women have described transcendental, mystical, altered states of consciousness experience during an expanded orgasm or an ESR orgasm, which is a proof that ESR orgasms are novel doors opening to another orgasmic consciousness, which lasts for a very long time, compared to classical single orgasms recorded in the literature. Female orgasm has, in fact, been defined as a form of altered state of consciousness by many researchers. Patricia Taylor wrote a Ph.D. thesis entitled An Observational and Comparative Study of Practitioners of Expanded Orgasm, an Investigation of an Effective and Accessible Path to Transcendental States of Consciousness at the International University of Professional Studies, Maui, Hawaii. Dr. Taylor classified her cases into four dimensions as physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Taylor's cases described a deep experience of altered states of consciousness such as more pleasure, deep relaxation, heightened sensations, increased energy, 
temporary pain relief, energy expanding out of body, deep relaxing abdominal breathing, increased clarity and creativity, acceptance of the self and others, extrasensory perception, ecstasy, mystical experience, divine feelings, feelings of divinity, increased awareness of the body, mind connection and integration, psycho-spiritual birth and death experience, loss of illusion of spatial separation, loss of spatial dimensions, loss of sense of time, personal boundaries dissolving and merging with the divine, cosmic emptiness and void, sharing with the partner, compassion, sense of fulfillment, and more. Here is a description of her orgasms by a medical doctor who had been practicing Kegel exercises, namely repeatedly contracting and relaxing the muscles that form part of the pelvic floor since she was 16, also the year of her first sexual experience. And we quote her. During my orgasms, I depart from everything around. It is a total depersonalization. I just feel myself. I even forget myself. Only my voice and scream stay. In status orgasmus, which are my best to be satisfied, the pleasure increases gradually. I am totally isolated from my environment. I hear only the animal voice coming from my throat until my short moans turn out to be incredible screams. I feel it in my stomach. First some tingling, then the contractions follow each other. It is a total altered state of consciousness. My vision darkens. I see flashes of colors or light. During minor orgasms, I feel funny contractions, like a game. The minor orgasms or contractions, starting from my vagina and pubis, circulate through my stomach, where I can feel the real center of the orgasmic volcano. Once the status orgasmus starts, it is like a hurricane taking me away from my body and I fly. These minor orgasms, each lasting for nearly 10 to 20 seconds, build up into a continuous titanic fit during which I sometimes can't even hear my own screams. I am lost for the first few minutes. These contractions continue for 10 to 20 minutes, especially when my partner is doing oral sex, cunnilingus, on me. He continuously stimulates my clitoris by his tongue, he is so talented that as soon as one orgasm finishes, another begins. During a status orgasmus, I feel that I am traveling the world as if I have an astral body. I go to unknown gardens, waterfalls, meadows. During intercourse orgasms, I feel that my lover and I are experiencing an unbelievable unification, merging and dissolving into one another. I have also had status orgasmus during intercourse, that is to say, not only when my partner is going down on me. If my partner continues intercourse for one to three hours, it is easy to attain prolonged orgasms. My brain melts. I realize that I am an animal. I hear my animal voices coming from my throat, which makes me more excited. Vaginal orgasms are sometimes better than clitoral. While we also apply a vibrator during intercourse, I really go into the status orgasmus, which lasts for 10 minutes to half an hour while I experience nearly 50 to 60 minor orgasms. 
During orgasms, I laugh, cry, moan, make very loud noises. Always I'm afraid the neighbors may hear me. My body arches. I'm in full extension. It is sometimes not certain whether I have pain or pleasure. Fantasies whispered into my ear make me crazy during these orgasms. Even a word may start another minor orgasm. It could be anything, wild or soft. I want to become an animal. Return to my archetypal body, whatever it had been. When I contract, I feel like an animal, as if it comes from my collective subconscious. I feel the penis like a hot burning sword that brands me. The penis makes my pelvis hotter and hotter. It streams out, and then comes a huge contraction, followed by another. Status orgasmus is very satisfactory for me compared to other orgasms, like the ones due to clitoral or vaginal stimulation alone. I feel so dizzy and my brain is so high and turning around that I believe it would be very hard for me to walk on a straight line. I would fall. I love to lose myself in my own brain chemistry. I would not be satisfied if I did not experience status orgasmus because clitoral or vaginal minor orgasms are so low for me. They don't make me as high as the status orgasmus does. I don't even have any refractory period for attaining vaginal or clitoral orgasms. One may come after another without building into a status orgasmus. But for the status, which comes with a big O at the end, there is always a refractory period of between 15 and 20 minutes. Intermission. We have a couple of observations to make here. First, everyone intrigued by this should refer back to our episode on synesthesia, which also suggests ways in which you can develop synesthesia yourself. Clearly, what this very eloquent and apparently also very happy woman describes are synesthetic experiences during orgasm. Second, a major theme of this podcast is that women have a whole lot to teach men about sensuality and sex. Second, a major theme of this podcast is that women have a whole lot to teach men about sensuality and sex. It's as if women are postdocs or PhDs or tenured professors with endowed chairs and men are in preschool. No, men will never be able to have the experiences women have in terms of orgasm. And here I should say emphatically, as both an aside and as a caveat, that I am specifically not speaking about gay men or what they have or can have sexually, simply because I am not gay and have never had any type of physical intimacy with another man. That having been said, here at Explore Ecstatic Sensuality, we believe specifically in orgasmic consciousness. We did not use that expression in our most recent episode on Tantra, but we are using it now. Many of the ancient texts grouped under the rubric of Tantra explain that sex is a way, even the way, even the only way, to achieve a high spiritual state. Call it Buddhahood, call it enlightenment, call it nirvana, call it what you will. But we are choosing to call it orgasmic consciousness. It is a mental-slash-physical state of pleasure, of creative, compassionate, sharing, loving pleasure. And remember that there is no distinction between mind and body. 
and orgasmic consciousness is a state which you may experience 24-7, not only during sex. In your dreams and at work, while you are doing your taxes, just as when you and your beloved are viewing reality, looking down from the highest mountain, or spending a marvelous day together, you are finally back home, at her place or his. Each of you has something to say about where you've just been, what you've just seen, people you've just met, ideas that have come into your head, other things you wish to do together. You have some wine. Maybe one evening it's her choice and another it's his. You honor and gift each other with your eyes. You toast each other with your being, with everything you are. Her eyes say, caress me now. He looks at her. She feels his look in the totality of her being. Suddenly, mouths delighted with wine, that indescribable moment when tongues are darting back and forth. You're the sort of couple who allow yourselves to do this in public, and you know that it's a turn-on for other people. You're proud of that. You know that is what they want. You hope that is what they do. But now you are doing it just between yourselves. Her hand touches the side of your neck. This moment of tongues darting back and forth, lips touching, caressing, is so encompassing of the very best in life that in a certain way there is no need for more. Except there is. A more that has and needs no definition. A more that extends to the far limits of your souls. A moment that has no finitude. Sensual love. Orgasmic consciousness love. Better than this, there is nothing. I will... Uh, sorry. I will close this episode by saying orgasmic consciousness is my gift to you. Thanks for listening.